everybody, this is Gabby V. I'm here with Diego Najera. He is the founder of BLN, the British Latino Network, and he's based out of London. So thank you so much for being here with us, Diego. Gabby, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm uh, really happy to, to be here with you and to have the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, it's nice to talk to a fellow podcaster. With BLN, you have your podcast and the mentor program. So we really want to talk to you about that today. I was glad you can make it. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, no, definitely. Doing podcasts are very, it's very, um, it's very enjoyable. Like you get to talk to a lot of people from around the world and yeah, it's interesting conversations. So definitely, I guess we've got that in common. Yeah, that's true. They always surprise me. Yeah. First, we want to talk a little bit about you and your story. You've, you mentioned that your family's from Ecuador, but you've lived in the UK since you're about a year and a half. What is it like growing up between two cultures? Yeah, so it's been um, it's been interesting. Like to be honest, I don't feel like I realized or recognized any differences until I was like maybe in my like teenage years. Um, obviously, yeah. So I grew up in in the UK, but my family are from Ecuador. So I came here when I was very young. I grew up here in the UK, and it was pretty obvious that I was obviously from from a Latino descent. Uh, but I guess it was so seamless because when I'd come home I'd always be speaking Spanish and then when I'd go out I'd always be talking English so it was just like I didn't really notice it to be like like a marked difference it was just part of life um, but it's been pretty good I mean I enjoy the fact that I'm able to to enjoy um, you know the benefits of being in the British culture and being able to you know learn a new culture entirely a new language but then also having that sort of pleasure of being able to connect back with my Latin American culture, my Ecuadorian culture. So I guess uh, both provide an escape for when one becomes too much, I guess. So uh, so it's been pretty good, yeah. Hmm, that's a nice way to put it. Never heard it that way before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. you're getting on my nerves. I'm gonna go more over here for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's fun, I guess it is. It does make, Conversations more interesting, um, life experiences, life perspectives, pretty interesting. So yeah, it's pretty enjoyable. I can say that. All right. And how are you putting those two cultures into this initiative you started with the British Latino Network? How are you doing that? Yeah. So the way I'm doing it is, I guess, from obviously growing up here, I've got an understanding. I've had an exposure of the challenges the community goes through here in the UK. Uh, so the Latin American community here in the UK and specifically London, which is where I grew up, is pretty large. I mean, right now we've probably gone past the 100,000 mark. Hmm. Uh, well, we have actually. So we're probably like 130,000. And then we've also got quite a lot who are coming from Spain who are now moving into the UK. But these are people who were originally from Latin America and they migrated first to Spain but now they're moving into into the UK. So the community is growing a lot. And I guess from my own personal experience, a lot of it has to do with education and uh, careers. So my experience was, you know, finding some challenges, finding lack of support, experiencing lack of information available. And so I've used that to sort of channel the knowledge I now have into a mentoring program into and into what we do with the British Latino Network. And obviously, because I've got both of the cultures, then I'm also able to sort of reach out to people from who are 
from the UK specifically or who are Latino as well. And so it provides a good opportunity to be able to to integrate everyone. All right. And just like Luis, who we talked to last week, you also have a full-time job while you're doing all this. So how do you balance everything? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's pretty. It can be pretty challenging at times. Um, but to be honest, it's been a, about eighteen months uh, because alongside working and alongside like doing the British Latino Network, I'm also doing like further study as well. So if I'm being honest, it's been a lot, but I guess since as time has gone by, it's sort of become like a like a new normal for me now. So it's just just part of it. So I I know what days I'm going to be dedicating to my project with the British Latino Network. What days I'm going to be studying after work. What days I'm just going to be working, and it just works. Um, it's it can be tiring at times, but with good planning, it all works out. And then the th so these last few days have been really chill for me. Very chill. <laughs> to the point where I just, I'm just at home and I'm like, I don't even know what to do. So sometimes I'll turn on the, the laptop and I'll just be like, okay, let me see what I can do. Because it just feels a bit, just a bit weird now. Because you, if you're sort of consistently like a 100 miles per hour and then you just take it down completely, it can be quite hard to disconnect. To be honest, I'm just enjoying it. I'm enjoying the fact that I'm busy and I have stuff to do. So, Okay. Yeah, it's nice to be productive when you've, you're doing something that you like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. With the, I guess the mentor program, how exactly how does that work? How can someone become a mentor or be a mentee, someone who's getting help? Someone who wants to be a mentor, essentially what they'll do is they'll reach out to us on our website. Uh, they'll send an email or via Instagram or LinkedIn. They'll just say, I want to be a mentor. I'll basically have a, a conversation with them, you know, talk to them about their interests get to know what their experience is as well and what their motivations are behind joining the, joining the mentoring program. And from then on, uh, if everything goes well, then we'll provide training and we'll provide um, a welcome to the team and then we'll start allocating students to, uh, to them. But we do this with a screening program where what we do is we allocate students based on relevant interests and relevant experience. So, for example, if we've got a student who's interested in pursuing law so we'll allocate them specifically to uh, a mentor who's working or studying law and um, and because our team is growing we've got like i think so we've got 19 mentors right now so we've got some mentors who are very specific in their field so now we can even offer more specificity for the mentee so if we've got a mentee who's interested in becoming a barrister We've also got a mentor who's not just some, a law professional, but actually a barrister. So, so no, it's been pretty good. And mentees typically reach out to us to just let us know what their issues are. And then through our sort of process of onboarding, we just get some information. What are you interested in? What are your short-term goals, long-term goals? And from then on, we match them to, to a mentor. So the, the program is meant to last at least a year. Uh, but of course, it just depends on what the mentee wants. Ideally, that's what we hope to offer them for a whole year so we can see some, you know, some growth throughout the whole period. Yeah, 12 months is a decent amount of time. But what um, you mentioned, you have 19 mentors. That's really good. Yeah. What industries are they working in? So we've got mentors. Uh, so in the law field, in business, in law business, humanities. 
um, in the arts as well. We've also got mentors who have been, so actually in the armed services, so in the army, we've got mentors who are also part of our STEM subjects. So mm-hmm. I myself, even though I'm the father, my background is in science, but I'm also one of the, one of the mentors on the STEM team. All right, really cool. Mm-hmm. Going back to your background, there you've you mentioned um, with education, it wasn't always your strong suit, especially when you were in high school. How did you overcome that? Yeah, no, I mean it was very. There was definitely a period of um, of difficulty where there was a lot of. Uh, I guess sort of failure really in my exams, like despite revising and stuff, uh, it just didn't go well for some reason. And obviously, uh, here in the UK, if you sort of fail your high school exams, which I'm pretty sure is similar to other countries, you know, it's pretty hard to even go on to university. So I had to, um, yeah, retake these exams and eventually find a way to to pass this uh, stage of my life. Eventually, I managed to go into university and study uh, biological sciences. And then I went to grad school and I did a master's in health policy at Imperial in, in London. And um, yeah, so m- most of my sort of study was in the, in the sciences and towards the latter part, more uh, like poli- policy analysis. But it wasn't always easy and it was there was definitely some challenges associated with it. But in the end, it was very, very positive experience. And I'm happy to have gone past, gone through that and to have uh, come out the other end. So, Yeah, it's definitely a, a nice comeback story. How did you change your, did you change your, your study methods? How did you get past it the second time? So it was, I think it was more of a like mindset change, really, uh, in general. So my whole lifestyle changed, even though I was, so I was 17 at that point. Basically, my lifestyle changed. I completely dedicated myself to wanting to to do something with my life. So when I was young, obviously, like any young person, you have a lot of dreams. I wanted to do everything except study, basically, ah. when I was 14, 15, <laughs> and 16. So when I was in school, um, yeah, everything else would, would take up my my uh, you know my focus until there was a, a moment in time where I guess things clicked and I just started to enjoy studying more. I started to enjoy it and my lifestyle changed in terms of the people I used to hang out with, um, sort of my habits, staying up to very late, waking up late. I basically changed, but it wasn't an overnight thing. It was more of a of a gradual thing. And now, you know, like fast forward nine years, I'm completely different to how I was when I was younger. Uh, personal, a personal experience of faith helped me a lot in so changing my mindset and sort of being more focused on what I needed to do at that time. I managed to get past that hurdle. And then from then on, it's pretty, pretty much smooth sailing <laughs> with the occasional hiccup, but pretty much smooth sailing, thankfully. Yeah, that's, that's the key, that mindset. We could definitely see you're reaping the benefits now, keeping your schedule very organized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've been so organized that you have a full-time job, you're working on this company, and you also made time to start learning Norwegian this year. So yeah. what's up with that? Why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it is a question I get uh, like asked. And so everything I do pretty much has a reason. So sometimes it can sort of seem a bit pointless at the, uh, sort of superficially, but there's sort of a reason behind what I do. So Norwegian for me is... Because there's a, a sort of a general interest in 
in the Scandinavian countries and sort of eventually maybe in the future moving there for future you know jobs uh, and stuff like that well for me I guess it all started from just an interest and wanting to learn another language so I obviously I can speak English I can speak Spanish I did a bit of um, French in high school but it wasn't it's not really my strong suit and I don't know right now I just feel like I don't really want to get into into learning French again so I was like, let me pick something which is, is pretty different. And um, I was like, let me learn Norway. We looked into the country. I liked what it represents. And I liked sort of the prospects of moving there in the future. So I was like, I've got some some free time. I'm like, let me, you know, do this and um, enjoy it. So, so yeah, so that's what I've been doing with the, um, the mindset of trying to learn some, a new skill, but also with the view that maybe it could come in handy in the future. Hmm, okay. Yeah, one thing you mentioned when before in the green room before we started the interview is you have this style of when you're exploring an option, you're just touching it a little bit, maybe doing some research, but then when you say, Okay, I'm gonna do this, then you go all in. What's the the logic behind that? Yeah, so a lot of it is uh, just sort of sculpting the I guess the um the area of interest. I've got a lot of interests, so I'm very interested in science, in companies, in entrepreneurship, in tech. But sadly, I'm very limited by by the time I've got, you know. So sometimes there'll be some things which are very much in my in the back of my mind. And what I tend to do is when I do have some free time, I'll scope it. So I'll go in, I'll read in, read about it a bit. And typically when I've develop an interest in something it's because i've got a wider long-term interest for it so for example if i'm interested in learning about investment it's because i've got an interest in the long term to do something with that um so initially i'll scope it and i'll make sure to write down some notes to make some notes in it so next time when i go back and look at the notes i've made i'm not starting from zero and then when i've got more time then i consistently basically add to this log that i've got of on that specific topic and then consistently, when I do have time, like a good portion of time, I look back at it and then I've just got this whole page of notes that I've made uh, over a set period of time. And the idea is to sort of, um, you know, develop my knowledge base on the on the topic gradually, incrementally, because I've not got all the time to dedicate the whole day to it. But, you know, sort of slow steps. And and then, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I That's what I've done with the British Latino Network. That's what I've done with... Uh, my studies, most of the things that I've done, I've sort of taken small steps uh, bit by bit and tried to be patient with the with my approach. Yeah, it's nice incremental growth over flaming out. I like it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's more, uh, I guess, I think it's more sustainable, really. Yeah, I, I definitely have to focus on that more. It's, it's hard to balance everything, especially as an expat, you got a lot of paperwork to file too, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are the major differences that most of the time we're usually seeing Latinos in America, J-Lo, Mark Anthony, Marco Rubio? What's the difference between the Latinos in America and the Latinos in the UK? Just come, sort of coming off from what you said is that, you know, in America or in the US, you have, uh, you know, you've got these people, these figures that you've just mentioned. In the UK, we don't really have that. So in the UK, we have no J-Lo, we have no Marco Rubio, we have no Mark Anthony, we have none of these, right? 
so we're still very much at that stage of developing the community on sort of seeing those role models uh, sort of more mainstream. So I guess one of the main differences and one of the main challenges is how do we uh, develop the inspiration or grow the inspiration within the community at sort of a grassroots level first? Because in, a, in the US, you know, young Latinos can look at, you know, Mark Anthony or J Lo from the TV and they, that can inspire them because they're mainstream. In the UK, we don't have that. So we need to be very smart about the way we develop the inspiration at a grassroots level and within the community first. The idea is that we're still very much growing. Um, most of our community is concentrated in, in London. We do have uh, Latinos across the country, but most of them are in London and the specific sectors of the city. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and one of the main things is that we, we've probably only got like maybe three generations of Latinos in the UK, if that. Probably two only. So we're very young here, still in the UK. So we've got a lot of Latinos who are trying to learn the language, who are trying to integrate uh, in the community, but also trying to integrate in the in the workplace. So it's not going to be. It's not very common for someone to go into you know a store and see a Latino working here. Uh, whereas in the US and in particular, like in Miami, you know, that's not the case. Or in LA, you know, in California, then it's not the case. You're pretty much going to see a lot of Latinos around. Yeah, I would agree with you there. In, in the areas of America that used to be Spanish colonies, there are some families that are 10th or 12th generation that they were there at the time of the conquest. They've been there a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we don't have that here. Exactly. We don't have that here. But um, I guess I've noticed a lot recently. Social media has become a very important tool for the community in the in the in the UK because, like I said, we're a very young community, so we have a lot of youth, and a lot of our youth are very active on social media. So it's been very good for organisations like mine and others that exist in the UK, which are specific for Latinos, to sort of gain traction and be able to sort of make contact and be able to get our message out. Um, so it has its, it does have its challenges, but it definitely has its uh, pros as well. Yeah, that's true. It's, it will get to the mainstream, but I'm glad someone like you is starting that initiative. Even here where I live in Germany, the mm. city of Wiesbaden, there's a lot of Latinos in this city and also Stuttgart, which is not that far from here. Mm -hmm. But it, you really have to dig to find where the communities are since they're not that big or established yet. Exactly, exactly. It takes a bit of digging. Um, but yeah, like you said, we're there. You know, we're, I, I mean, I've, there's some, I've sometimes traveled to some cities in, in the UK where I did not expect to see any Latinos at all. <laughs> and I remember one day when I moved to one of these cities where I was living for a period of time in the Midlands, uh, near Birmingham, I was literally taking out my trash and I heard someone speaking Spanish and I was like, what? <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't expect it. It was just so random. Yeah, it could be exciting to you. Like, hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah. I think I was actually just shocked, you know, if I'm being, I was just like, I just sort of stood there and I was like, I didn't, it was too late by then, but yeah, I was very much surprised to you. Um, I didn't expect it at all. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You never know where they're going to pop up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Diego. You shared a lot of insights with us. I'm going to go ahead and post up here your Instagram handle, but where else can everybody find you? 
Yeah, so everyone can uh, find can find us on the British Latino Network on Instagram or on LinkedIn as well by searching British Latino Network. Facebook as well, Google by searching British Latino Network. If you just put it on Google, then you'll pretty much find all of ours, uh, all of our social media uh, accounts. And if you want to find find me, then you can do that by going on Instagram and searching Diego underscore NJS. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, that sounds good. Thank you so much, everybody. If you'd like to get in touch with Clever Hybrids, whether you're working on being a Clever Hybrid or you're already there, feel free to check out our website, cleverhybrids.com, for information about business English courses or how you can be on our podcast. But until next time, keep on learning by doing and asking. Hasta pronto. Bye.